The epistle for this 16th Sunday after Pentecost is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Brethren, I pray you not to faint in my tribulations for you, which are your glory. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all paternity in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his, of his glory to be strengthened by his spirit with might unto the inward man, that Christ may dwell by faith in your hearts, that being rooted and founded in charity, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know also the charity of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do all things more abundantly than we desire or understand, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations, world without end. Amen. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the 14th chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time when Jesus went into the house of one of the chiefs of the Pharisees on the Sabbath day to eat bread, they watched him. Behold, there was a certain man before him that had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? But they held their peace. But he, taking him, healed him, and sent him away. And answering them, he said, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit, and will not immediately draw him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him to these things. And he spoke a parable also to them that were invited, marking how they chose the first seats of the table, saying to them, When you are invited to a wedding, do not sit down in the first place, lest perhaps one more honorable than you be invited by him, and he that invited you and him come and say to you, Give this man place, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. When you are invited, go sit down in the lowest place, that when he who invited thee comes, he may say to thee, Friend, go up higher. Then thou shalt have glory before them that sit at table with thee, because every one that exalts himself shall be humbled, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Reverend Fathers, dear faithful, Today we have this great grace of being able to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the priestly ordination of Father Joseph Dreyer. Father is a native of Longmont here in Colorado, and his family are among those Catholics of, of Colorado, of this area, who made themselves part of the traditional movement almost as soon as it came to Colorado. Father obtained a degree in computer science, and then he worked for some years in California before entering the seminary of the Society of St. Pius X in Winona, Minnesota in 1989. That was just a year after the Society had purchased and, and occupied that property. And then after six years of formation, Father was ordained to the priesthood 25 years ago on June the 24th, 1995. And so here we are, 25 years later, to congratulate Father and to wish him many more years of priesthood. You know that when there's a wedding anniversary, um, what, what the couple does, they, they gather their family around and they uh, speak about their, their wedding and they celebrate as a family the union that, that took place. 
And when there's a priestly anniversary, it's similar in that the members of the parish are gathered to celebrate that anniversary. The family members of uh, a family, a wedded family, are, are the children and the grandchildren. But the family members of a priest are the members of a parish. The priest family extends beyond boundaries of, of blood to um, the faithful, the, the members of the mystical body. And this is why it makes it so fitting that the faithful share in celebrating one of the major landmarks of, of Father Dreyer's priestly life. They are part of the family of which Father Dreyer is one of its many fathers. This is one of the beautiful aspects of, of our holy Catholic Church. It, it multiplies family ties that go beyond mere physical boundaries and ties of blood. It brings together so many people that otherwise would not be unified, many people of, of different races, different walks of life, and it binds them by, by ties of supernatural charity to one another when without the church they, they really would not have any connection at all. And they certainly would not have as strong a connection as they do through their connection to the mystical body, through Holy Mother the Church. But this is certainly not the only reason why we celebrate Father's anniversary today. We do not only celebrate because Father is a priest, but because he has exercised his priesthood for 25 years now. Not all priests persevere faithfully in the priesthood. I don't want to exaggerate the difficulty of, of persevering, but I also don't want to pretend that perseverance is automatic for a priest. It's certainly not. A priest has to strive every day to live up to his vocation if he is to persevere. And this striving, we may say, is, is more difficult than the effort required to persevere in marriage. And, and the reason for this is the supernatural nature of the priestly vocation. St. Paul in Hebrews, he speaks of the priest, and he says that the priest is taken from among men, and he's ordained for men, but in the things that pertain to God and to offer up gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so there's, there's this two-sided aspect to the priest. The priest starts his life off just like everyone else, just like your average human being. But then after he reaches adulthood and he's undergone a seminary formation, he steps into a new life on the day of his ordination, a new life that, that is meant to be supernatural in its very essence, a life wherein every single day he handles the things of God, he offers sacrifice to God, he acts in the name of God, and he brings people to God. All the things that he does in his life from that point are centered around the divine, are for the divine, are resting essentially in the supernatural order. It's not a life that is in any way designed for the natural level. It's a life that by its nature is above nature. It is supernatural, and it must be lived supernaturally for it truly to be a priestly life. And this, this is the great 
daily challenge for the priest, for him to day after day live up to his priestly identity, this identity that he's assumed on the day of his ordination. It's a great challenge because it requires a great effort. And Holy Mother Church, because she wants the priest to be a priest, she wants him to be a supernatural man, she sets certain requirements for the priest that he, he knows he is bound to fulfill every single day of his life. On the, on the one hand, there are certain things that he must not do. We may say certain things on the natural level that for your average human being would be okay. But which the church says, for you, who are priests of the church, you must not partake of these things. You must somehow discipline nature, keep nature in check much more than people who are married. And on the other side, there are the positive requirements in the supernatural order that the church sets for the priest, the spiritual duties that he's expected to fulfill every single day. And as I say, this is what makes the priestly life very demanding, more demanding than the average life. The fact that he has to cut away the things of nature. He must not coddle nature. He must not cater to nature in a way that the normal human being is allowed to coddle nature. Obviously, he's forbidden from having the company of a woman. He's, a, he's forbidden from having the consolation of bearing children, of bringing children into this life and receiving the joys that children can provide to a man. Priest is not to have a permanent residence, a piece of property that he calls his own, that, that is like his domain. He's not to pursue some business career where he's drawing a progressively increasing salary. Perhaps he's climbing the corporate ladder. He's feeling that he's a successful businessman. These sorts of human consolations that come from nature and which are good and rightful in their place, but are simply not part, by design, they're not part of the life of a priest. These sorts of major human consolation, the church forbids the priest because she wants him to protect the supernatural nature of his priestly state. She wants to craft a life that corresponds to a supernatural vocation. And so she has to say to the priest, these things are not for you. But a priest even has to be careful about minor human consolations, things that the church is not explicitly forbidding the priest, perhaps, but which he must make sure that he does not give his heart to. Whenever nature is held back, it always wants its revenge. It always wants to find a way to sneak in through the back door. The priest is obviously not able to completely exclude nature. He's not meant to become an unnatural man. Of course not. He's meant simply to reduce nature so that supernature can flourish all the more, so that he can have more freedom for the spiritual realm 
That's the purpose. It's not to destroy nature. But he's meant to have a much greater freedom in the spiritual realm than the average lay folk. And to do that, he must make sure that nature is not asserting itself too much. And for this, he must make sure that he's not giving himself in too much to natural constellations. It's impossible for him to stop eating. It's impossible for him to stop drinking. It's impossible for him to stop sleeping. He has to, has to do this. He's still a human being. He has, to, he has to do these things. But if he allows himself to become overly attached to minor earthly constellations, then there starts to be this rift between his natural life and his supernatural vocation. He starts to take on more of that earthly life to which he is not called. His life begins to be more of, of the here below than the hereafter. And this introduces this tension, this wedge between that priestly identity and his earthly side, his fallen human nature. And they start to battle. And one of them has to win out. This is what makes the margin of error smaller for a priest. If he gives himself in to human consolations too much, even a little bit becoming obsessed with human consolations or excessively attached to them, then it's a much graver danger than it would be for a married man. One priest might start enjoying a bit of alcohol by himself on a regular basis. Another priest might start watching a movie alone every night. Another might start visiting the same family over and over again, family he likes more than the other families, spending a lot of time with them, become attached to that family life. Those attachments start to arise. The heart becomes addicted to the consolations it's receiving. And the mass, the office, the priestly ministry, they become less satisfying. This is how it goes. So the priest has to keep a delicate balance. Nature is not to be destroyed. Nature is also not to be coddled. He must be careful, on the one hand, from two excesses, not to overindulge nature, but also not to crush nature excessively, because there's a danger on the other side. And this is the danger of priestly fatigue, because priests are human beings, just like every other human being. When we're tired, we're not at our best. We're subject to, to temptations of the devil. The devil loves to take advantage of us when we are tired. So the priest is very weary, especially if He's being demanded to do to many things. I think of, of this situation of the coronavirus where we priests had to multiply masses. And, and sometimes people will say, Father, why don't you just add another mass so that we can have more people? And this is being said in some places. Why don't you just add another mass? You have to understand that a priest is a human being. And even if he's saying mass, if, he, if he's completely exhausted when he's saying mass, that he's subject to severe temptations like any other man would be when they're extremely fatigued. Even if he's doing spiritual things, it's very hard for those spiritual things to nourish him if his body is totally and utterly exhausted. So the priest 
has to cater to nature to some degree. He has to sleep. He has to, to eat. He has to drink. And if he doesn't keep that balance, if, if on the one hand, he, he doesn't maintain himself in health, and he, he overworks himself by an imprudent zeal, or on the other hand, he starts seeking these human consolations in a way that is excessive. Either way, he's in big trouble. He's in big trouble. In the end, the main thing that is, that is meant to sustain the priest, because he's being asked to cut away those human consolations, what is he going to replace it with? Where is he going to stall the strength? Because he doesn't have the, the consolation of having a woman who accompanies him in his life. Because he doesn't have the consolation of those, of those children who, who might give him joy. Because he doesn't have the consolation of having his own home or his own property, a permanent residence that he might have. Where is he supposed to draw his strength? It's very clear. Our Lord and Our Lady are meant to replace, are meant to be for him everything that those other things are for a married couple. Our Lord and Our Lady, that, that supernatural life, those supernatural duties that he is meant to fulfill every single day are, are to give him a strength to live that supernatural vocation every day of his life. That is the main source of strength for a priest in his daily life. It's meant to be. That's why the church is so exacting, demanding that he do those spiritual duties every single day. A priest does not attend Mass every day. A priest celebrates Mass every day. He touches the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. He receives communion daily. He identifies himself with our Lord at every single Mass that he says. And this contact with our Lord, this imitation of our Lord, is meant to give the priest the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, that same strength that we see him on the way to Calvary. The priest recites the divine office every day, praying the Psalms, begging God to have mercy upon him, saying to God that he must help him, that he's the protector of those who turn to him, greeting God in the morning, greeting God in the afternoon, asking God to be near to him at nighttime, praying throughout the day. The priest calls upon Our Lady as his mother in a special way. He knows that Our Lady has a great love for priests. Like most mothers, it's very hard for mothers to love all their children equally. It's the same with Our Lady. She loves her priests more than she loves the faithful. And this is not bad on her part. She is the one who forms our Lord Jesus Christ in her womb. She's meant to form the priest, to be close to the priest, to lead him on his way in life, as she did for our Lord. She looks after her priest more than she looks after others. And it's so necessary, this is why it's so necessary for the priest to continually call upon Our Lady in his priestly life to live in a state of dependence upon her. Because of this, my dear faithful, if a priest perseveres in his vocation and is truly living his vocation, as Father Dreher has done these past 25 years, it can only be because he's accepted this law for his life 
that his, his strength has to become much more from the spiritual life than from the natural level. His efforts to celebrate Mass well, to meditate deeply each morning in his daily meditation, to recite his office carefully, to refer all of his troubles and worries to Our Lady. These are the only things that can be a solid foundation for his perseverance if he really is living as a priest. And this is why we rejoice with, with Father Dreher today on the 25th anniversary of his priesthood. He has continued faithful to his vocation because he has continued faithful to its supernatural spirit. If I can embarrass Father a little bit, I mean, on these occasions, it's customary to at least have a little bit of embarrassment. But, <laughs> but um, you know, a bit right before this Mass, I, I did not ask Father to, to hear confessions. But there were people online. It wasn't in the bulletin, but <laughs> there's no confessions announced in the bulletin. But, but there were people in line for confession. And, and um, Father saw that. And he got into the confessional to, to hear some confessions. Um, and, and it's just an indication that, that Father is living his priesthood. He, after these 25 years, he hasn't become jaded in his priesthood. He still has that spirit of generosity. You think about all the masses that Father has celebrated since 1995, day after day. If you count them up, over 9,000 masses, the holy sacrifice of the mass, being celebrated over 9,000 times by Father Think about all the hours of the divine office. So many sermons that he's preached. This is, this is one of those aspects of the sort of the relentlessness of the priesthood, the demands that are made on a, on a priest to, to give a speech, to speak so much, to instruct so much. Over and over again, the priest is called upon to, to speak. So many confessions that the Father has heard, so many baptisms that he's administered. Father spent six years in England, in, in a foreign country. Um, it's, not, it's not atypical for a priest of the society to, to be assigned to another country. Um, Father May's been in, not in his native land for most of his priesthood. And I, as you know, I spent 10 years in Australia. Um, Father spent six years as district secretary in, in the United States. He spent some years as a seminary professor in Winona where, where Father May and myself were, were his students. Um, and so many things in these past 25 years that he's been able to do for God and for the salvation of souls through his fidelity to his priestly vocation, to his fidelity to a supernatural life, the true nature of the priesthood. This is why, my dear people, we rejoice on this day. And when we rejoice at this Mass today, I think there's really two things that we need to accomplish for Father on the one hand, we have to thank God on Father's behalf for the graces that he has received in the past 25 years. And then on the other hand, we must ask God to grant him the grace, final perseverance, that he continue on this path, continue to persevere in his priesthood. So Father, we thank you for the example of your fidelity and your priesthood. May God give you at least 25 more years. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.